Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Hey, I'm so glad you checked in with us on this online service. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. And now, of course, we're getting ready for a brand new 2020. In fact, I've got a great message that God gave me for next weekend. I can't wait to share with you. But, you know, at this point of the year where we just have now a couple of days left and we're on the verge of a new year, it's very common for us to look back on the previous year and look forward to the next year. Sometimes we get to this point of the year and we have regrets. Other times we're making New Year's resolutions. And there are times when we put both of them together, we're making New Year's resolutions because we have regrets about what did or didn't go well in this last year. But I want to talk about something today that I think is a lot more important than just making New Year's resolutions. If history teaches us anything, it teaches us that most of the best resolutions made on January 1st have already petered out by the end of the month. What I think we should ask ourselves is the question, am I living my life according to the things that are truly important? And so for a few brief moments today, I want to take us back to an Old Testament book, to an Old Testament story where a guy was challenged to determine what was really important in his life. Now, I'm going to tell you right up front, the first part of this message is going to sound dark, but hang with me because it's not dark at all. It's just going to look dark for a little while, but when all the clouds part, we're going to get a lot of great instruction about how to live our lives. This particular story comes from the second book of Kings, chapter 20 and the first verse. And it's about a king in Judah who, as we'll see in the message, was a very good king. His pastor, Isaiah, is coming in to talk to him. And at this point, we're going to pick up how that all came about. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you're going to die. You're not going to recover. Wow, those are strong words. Put your house or put your life in order because you're going to die. I love being a pastor. I'm in my 43rd year of being a pastor and I'm addicted to the job, but there are a few parts of the job that I never get used to. Most of them have to do with bad news, either hearing bad news or having to give bad news. For instance, I I never get used to hearing that some marriage is in trouble. You would think after pastoring so many people that it might get commonplace or everyday to me, but it doesn't. I, I never get used to hearing that a relationship or a marriage or a family is struggling. I never get to the place where preaching a funeral doesn't cause me to grieve. I've conducted over a thousand funerals in my ministry, but every time I do it, it still hurts. I never get used to hearing a doctor telling someone or a family that a disease that a family member has is fatal and it's going to take their lives. Having to give somebody bad news causes me to get a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. Well, in our text today, King Hezekiah gets some bad news. In fact, the worst kind of news. God sends his pastor, Isaiah, with the message that Hezekiah is going to die. The illness that Hezekiah knows he has 
is going to claim his life, which until this point he has not known. You know, I think it's important that we notice that this message didn't come from the doctors. Doctors are sometimes wrong. In fact, it's been my experience that doctors are the first to admit that even though they think they know what's going to happen, they don't know for sure. Many times I've heard doctors tell families, it's in God's hands now. You know, I've met people who've lived for years after the doctors said they were supposed to die. I remember Thanksgiving 1984 very well. My uncle Johnny, Austin's grandfather, had been diagnosed with a fast-growing cancer, and the doctors told us they had done all they could do, and they were frankly sending Johnny home to die. Our family got together at Thanksgiving. The truth of the matter was we were getting together to say goodbye to Johnny. But it wasn't too long after that that Johnny went to the doctor and they couldn't find a sign of the cancer they had thought was going to claim his life. And he lived and followed God for another 16 years. But there was no mistaking this message. It didn't come from the doctors. It came from God. And notice that the message had two parts. Number one, you're going to die. Well, that's where it gets a little bit personal for you and me because Scripture tells us that that's going to happen to every one of us. Hopefully it won't happen for a long time. But in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, the Bible says, it's appointed unto men or to people, to the human race, to die once, but after that, the judgment. So unless the rapture happens, that's the time when Jesus comes and all who are still living will go to heaven. Unless the rapture happens in our lifetime, we all have an appointment with death, and it's an appointment that we can't break. I'm a typical guy. I don't like to go to the doctor. I don't like to go to the dentist. Frankly, it doesn't take too much for me to have an excuse to break an appointment. But death is an appointment I can't break. I don't know when my appointment is, and you don't know when yours is, but I do know we're not going to be able to put it off. I've long enjoyed the works of Somerset Mom, the short story writer, but my favorite of his short stories is a little one-page affair called Appointment in Samara. And in this little parable that Somerset Mom writes, he tells the story of a man who went to his boss and said, would you lend me your fastest horse? I need to ride away to go to Samara. And the boss said, well, why do you want to ride to Samara? He said, well, I have to get there today because when I was in town, I saw death, and death made a frightening gesture to me. So please, sir, I want to get away from death. Lend me your horse so that I can ride as fast as I can to Samara. Well, according to Somerset Mom in this little short story, the master gave his horse to the person who worked for him and said, here, go. Later on, the master himself was in town, and he saw death there. And he said to death, Why did you scare my servant today? You made a threatening gesture to him. And death said, that wasn't a threatening gesture. It was just a start of surprise to see him in town today because tonight I have an appointment with him in Samara. Well, that's just a short story. It's a piece of literature, but it does bear on an important truth. As Hezekiah discovered, and as ultimately we all discover, we have an appointment with death. So no matter how smart we are, we can't think ourselves into one extra minute. No matter how rich we are, we can't buy an extra minute. And no matter how much power we have, we can't order ourselves one more minute. 
If nothing else, our text teaches us that. Hezekiah was king. He had the power, he had the money, he had the intellect, and yet the message came from Isaiah, you're going to die. You know, historians tell us that one of England's queens who lived capriciously and selfishly all her life, it's said that she had 10,000 dresses, on her deathbed screamed out, millions of money for an inch of time. Well, this particular message came to Hezekiah and eventually it'll come to all of us. But then there was a second part to the message. Not only was there the message that Hezekiah was going to die, the second part said, put your house in order or put your life in order. In effect, Isaiah was saying to Hezekiah, you're going to die, but you're not ready to die. You know, those of us who know the Old Testament, I think we find that a little bit surprising that it was said to Hezekiah. If you study the story of the kings, you know that the kings in the Bible are divided into two categories. We saw this in the series Kings and Queens. There were those who did right in the sight of God, and there were those who did what was wrong in the sight of God. Hezekiah was not only one of the ones who did right, but outside of King David himself, he was arguably the best king Judah ever had. You know, if this message, put your house in order, had come to Ahab, we would not be surprised. If John the Baptist had said it to Herod, who stole his brother's wife, we would not be surprised. But Hezekiah? I mean, after all, who was Hezekiah? Let me tell you a little about him. When Hezekiah came to the throne at the age of 25, Judah, his nation, the southern part of Israel, was in a moral and spiritual pit. And I should point out that Hezekiah didn't come from a godly home. Hezekiah's dad, who had been king before him, was a very wicked man. How bad was he? He burned his own son, Hezekiah's brother, as a sacrifice to a demon idol god. One more time, Hezekiah's dad burned his son, Hezekiah's brother, alive as a sacrifice. So it would have seemed like the deck would have been stacked against this 25-year-old kid when he became king. It would have looked like he didn't have a chance. But surprise, he turned out to be one of Judah's best. I mean, when you study the life of Hezekiah in the Bible, the first thing that he did was he broke the idols in pieces and destroyed the idolatrous worship places. In fact, the Bible has three things to say about King Hezekiah up to this point. He did that which was right in the eyes of God. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands that the Lord had given Moses. Now think about that one more time. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He trusted in God and he was committed to doing the right thing. And look at the result. The Bible says, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. But 14 years later, at the age of 39, things went south in a big way. I want you to use your imagination with me. You're King Hezekiah, you're still very young at 39, but one day you notice a growth come up on your body. You don't think too much about it at first. It, you, you think it'll go away, but it doesn't. And instead, it gets bigger, and what's worse, you notice that day by day, physically, you're getting weaker and weaker, and finally you have to stay in bed. And now you're wondering, what's going to happen to me? Can you feel where Hezekiah was? Well, along comes his pastor, Isaiah, and says, here's the news from God. You're not going to make it. You're going to die, but you're not ready to die. You need to get things in order. 
I don't know how much time God was offering him. Was it a week? Was it a month? Was it six months? I don't know. But you know, we talked about this already in today's message. New Year's resolutions made on January the 1st tend to end by the end of the month of January. So let's just say it was 30 days. Let's imagine that it was one month. And let's imagine for a moment that we're not talking about Hezekiah. We're talking about you and me. What would we do if we knew we had one month to live? Now, again, I know this is going to sound a little dark, but stay with me because at the end, it's not going to be dark at all. But let's suppose that you knew that your time on earth was going to be finished by the end of the month of January. And God said to you or to me, you need to put your life in order. What would we do? What would we do if we knew that we had 30 days left? Well, first of all, I think there are some things that, that we would do. My guess is if you're a new springer, you would be in all of our worship services during the month of January. I mean, you know, it's so easy to find this or that to, to cause us to miss church. But I'm guessing if we knew we had 30 days left, we wouldn't miss any of the services. And that's important because the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 that God's people should not be staying away from our meetings. Notice this, as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see that day drawing near. In other words, as our time gets short, we should even be more faithful in gathering together to hear the word of God and sing worship and praise. I think if we had 30 days left, we would probably find it in our hearts to forgive some people who have hurt us. You know, in all my years of preaching on the subject of forgiveness and then listening to the questions that come up after those messages, I've come to believe that Christians hear the word of God on the subject of forgiveness with these two caveats. Not me and not for that. You know, forgiveness is a really important thing. Jesus said if we don't forgive others that God will not forgive us when we pray. And that's a frightening thought. But oftentimes it's like, well, my situation is different. If you knew my situation, you would see why I wouldn't forgive or why I hold hostility for that person. And I don't mean that forgiveness means that we should be foolish and let abusers back into our lives. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is just tearing up the invoice. But as I said, I think that a lot of times when we hear messages on forgiveness, the idea is, well, it doesn't mean me, and it doesn't mean that I need to forgive for that. Oftentimes what comes after that is a sense of I can't. But here's what I do know. I know that if we only had 30 days left on this planet, we would look at the whole thing differently. So I believe we would forgive some people. But let's flip that for a moment. It could be that we would ask forgiveness of some people whom we've hurt. You know, when there's a breakage in a relationship, it's very easy just to let that breakage lay, to let it go on and just say, well, I don't know, maybe somewhere down along the line, we'll make things right with each other. But if we had 30 days left, I think we would ask forgiveness of some people whom we've hurt. And maybe they will have hurt us as well, but we would want to make sure that our windows were clean before we went to face God.
Here's another big one. If we knew that we only had 30 days left, I believe we would share our faith with friends and family who are spiritually unresolved. You know, sometimes the hardest people to share our faith with are those we love the most. You know, we never quite seem to know how do you start that conversation or what if they threw up the things that we've done wrong? (laughs) All kinds of things stop us from talking to the people we love the most about the biggest question of all. But if we had 30 days left, I doubt if anything would stop us. It wouldn't matter whether or not it was a good time for them or it was a good time for us. I think if we had 30 days left, we would want to make sure that the people we love the most know the Jesus who has changed our lives. I bet we'd spend a lot of January reading the Bible. You know, there's an old story about a little girl who found her elderly grandfather reading the Bible, and she asked him what he was doing. He said, I'm cramming for my finals. Well, I think if we knew we only had 30 days, we would, we would take time to read what God had to say to us. Another thing, I think we'd finally find time to pray. In our busy world that's so filled with activity and now crammed with technology, Oftentimes, prayer is the one thing that gets edged out. And yet, if we knew we had 30 days left, I know we would find a lot of time to talk to God. One more, while we're just musing on the subject. I believe we would tell people who have loved us and been good to us that we appreciate them. You know, when we think about our lives, even though we may have had our struggles and our difficulties, We've also had a lot of blessings. And often in the fast pace to move on to the next level, we can forget to tell the people who have helped us just how much they mean to us. Strange how we let this one slip. You know, there are a lot of Christ followers who who don't tell the people they love how much they love them until they're in the casket. As I said earlier, I've conducted a thousand funerals and one of the tragedies to me is to find people finally free to express their love after their loved one is gone. There's an old story about a casket of a longtime wife being carried out to the hearse after the service. And the family, of course, was walking out with the pastor and the pallbearers. But when they got to the back door of the hearse, the hearse door was closed and the funeral director, who was kind of leading that procession, looked at one of the men in the family and said, sir, would you get the door for her? It turned out to be the lady's husband. And as he reached forward to open the door of the hearse, he realized that was the first time he'd opened a car door for her in years. I wonder if we knew that we only had 30 days to live, how would it affect us? I believe we would override our pride and tell people how much we love them. Wives would tell husbands, husbands would tell wives, Parents would tell children, and as strange as it sounds, I think teenagers and kids would tell their parents. Now, there are things that we would do, and I can't touch on them all. I really believe the Holy Spirit will help you think of these things as you listen to this message. But I also think there are some things that we wouldn't do if we knew that our time was short. You know, we live in a world today where criticism and anger are such parts of common discourse. I think technology and the anonymity that sort of goes with technology has made that a lot worse. 
But it's so easy to become critical in our times. And, and if we had 30 days to live, we would probably be a lot less critical and a lot less angry because a lot of the stuff that causes us to be critical or angry wouldn't even matter to us. I don't think we would be afraid of being called a fanatic or politically incorrect for standing with God. And here's the big one, and we could talk about this for hours, but I think it's so obvious we won't need to. I think we wouldn't put a lot of value on a lot of things that we value right now. If I, if I had 30 days to live, I wouldn't care what kind of car I drove. I wouldn't care what kind of house I lived in, were my clothes the latest fashion, and I sure wouldn't care whether or not my team made it to the playoffs in the NFL. So that's the case. If we knew we had 30 days to live, there are some things we would do in those 30 days. There were some things that we wouldn't do. We'd probably have some regrets, and we'd wish that we had given God more of our lives. You know, in all these years of pastoring, I've heard people share regrets as they got close to the end. But it's strange. I've never heard someone regret that they were too faithful to God or that they did too much for God or that they read the Bible too much or that they prayed too much. I've never heard anyone regret those things. But this is a good time for you and me as we get to the end of 2019 and the beginning of 2020. It's a good time for us to perform Hezekiah's exercise and to ask ourselves the question, is our life in order? The stuff that we would do, the stuff that we wouldn't do if we only had 30 days left. And somebody could say, well, Mark, this is a pretty heavy message for the new year. It sounds like you're trying to scare me. Wait a minute. For the last few minutes, we've been thinking about what we'd do or wouldn't do if we only had 30 days to live. Why would we do those things? Why would we not do those things? We would make those calls because well, the things that we would do are the important things to do, and the things that we wouldn't do are the things that are completely unimportant or, or negative. We would make these calls for the next 30 days because it's the stuff that's important. Well, here's my question for us as we face 2020. If we would do these things because we would be about to die, shouldn't we be even more quick to do them because we're going to live? By the way, do you know what happened with Hezekiah? Isaiah had told him he was going to die, and his pastor left, and Hezekiah, lying on his bed, turned to the wall, and he began to cry, and he prayed. And he prayed that God would heal his body and that God would answer his prayer. God stopped his pastor, Isaiah, in the courtyard of the palace and said, go back and tell King Hezekiah, I have heard his prayers, I have seen his tears, and I'm going to add 15 years to his life. Wow, That's, I love that story. You see, the thing that was important was Hezekiah did need to put his life in order, but not because he was going to die. He needed to put his life in order because he was going to live. Well, for all of us at the end of 2019 and 2020, while we performed this exercise of what we'd do or wouldn't do if we had 30 days to live, and we get to the end of that exercise... Well, let's put these things into effect because it could be that God's going to give us 15 years more or 30 years more or 70 years more to live. And wouldn't it be awesome if we live the rest of our life doing the things that are important and not investing our life and time in things that don't matter at all?
Well, as we talk about putting our lives in order, there's, there's one thing that I'd, I'd know all of us would want to be sure of. And that is we would want to be sure that if our life was going to end in 30 days or 30 minutes or 30 years, whenever it came to an end, we'd want to be sure that as we ended this life, we would go immediately into the presence of God. And Scripture tells us that that is what happens to a Christ follower. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, how can we know that? How can we know that for sure? I never get tired of sharing the truthful answer to that question because the Bible says that eternal life is a gift. It isn't something that we earn. It's not something that we get because we've done those important things or not done those unimportant things. It's something that is given to us freely by God. The Bible tells us that we all are imperfect. We're all sinners. We all fail every day, but God loves us anyway. And he loves us so much that Jesus, God's son, God came into our world. That's what we just celebrated in Christmas. Born as a baby, lived 33 years, lived a perfect life that you and I couldn't live. And then he laid that perfect life on a Roman cross and God punished him for all the sins of the world. Even though he wasn't guilty, God punished him as though he were guilty so that he could treat guilty people like you and me as though we were not guilty. Wow, that's so different from religion. One more time. God took the innocent Jesus and on the cross treated him as though he were guilty so that he could treat guilty sinners like you and me as though we were completely innocent. The Bible tells us that Jesus' blood paid for our sins. And three days later, he arose from the grave and he lives in heaven as Savior and King. And anyone who is willing to invite Jesus Christ into her life or into his life can become a child of God, all sins forgiven. And the assurance of whenever we leave this life, as I said, whether it's 30 minutes or 70 years, we can be assured that heaven is our everlasting home. Hey, the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So in this last message of 2019, could I just lead you in a prayer that asks Jesus Christ to come into our lives? I'll pray it slowly, and you can decide if you'd like to pray it with me. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I do so many things wrong, and I fail to do so many things right. But I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose in the grave. And since he lives, I want Jesus to be my Savior and King. Please forgive my sin. Please adopt me into your family. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, from all of us here at New Spring, we wish you the greatest year of your life in 2020. And our prayer is that as we analyze our lives and put our lives in order, 2020 will be a year of doing the things that are most important and dropping off the things that aren't so important. May God bless you. See you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. 
For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org. 